0: Hello, and welcome to the PCOS Diva podcast. This is Amy Medling. I'm a certified health coach, and I'm the founder of PCOS Diva. And I am just so honored and really thrilled to be speaking with who I think is a pioneer in holistic um, handling of PCOS. And she was really instrumental in my healing journey for PCOS, and that is... Dr. Nancy Dunn, and welcome um, to the podcast today.
1: Thank you. I'm glad to be here, Amy.
0: Well, I just want to share um, with our listeners a little bit about how I discovered your brilliant work. Um, About 10 years ago, you published the book The Natural Diet Solution for PCOS and Infertility. And 10 years ago, it literally changed my life. It really helped me um, to look at PCOS beyond the pharmaceutical drugs and that I really had control over um, my body and my PCOS. And I wanted to... um, just share a quote from your book that, gosh, I have it um, underlined and starred, and it was really um, helped me to move beyond the pain and struggles of PCOS. So this is your quote. You say, I want to share my experiences treating PCOS and its accompanying difficulties by using natural therapies. PCOS can be a devastating experience with health consequences that reach deeply into a woman's life. The burden of this condition can be lightened, even erased in many cases, with your active participation, your willingness to learn and make changes. It is challenging and exhilarating to take your health in your own hands and make your life the best it can be. And you know, I feel I feel like I took that charge, and um, here here we are now talking um, on the PCUS Diva podcast. So thank you, thank you, thank you for <laughs> for helping inspire me.
1: <laughs> You're very um, welcome.
0: And I know you inspire many others. I was just talking to Dr. Fiona McCullough, which listeners are probably familiar with. Um, the, the podcast we've done with her and her writings, and she's um, coming out with a new book, and she also credits you uh, as being just a pioneer and in inspiring her work with women with PCOS. Um, so before we get into um, our discussion today, I just wanted to give listeners a little bit more uh, about your, your background. You are a naturopathic physician, and I loved this little bio that you put together for me. I'm just going to read it verbatim. Um, You said that I teach high-androgen, inherently insulin-resistant women diagnosed with polycystic ovarian syndrome to maximize the many advantages we are born with and to minimize aspects that cause distress. In consultation, women living with PCOS are guided to learn behaviors that create optimal well-being. And you, as a postmenopausal woman with PCOS, having raised a peaceful, positive, thriving daughter who has PCOS and successfully treated hundreds of other women, I can assure us all that the rewards of naturopathically informed self-care are profound and utterly reliable. So I love how you kind of put this really positive spin on PCOS. And um, I was wondering if you could kind of explain to us, you know, what your philosophy is or your your viewpoint of women with PCOS and what is the benefit of being a high androgen, inherently insulin-resistant woman?
1: All right. Well, the way I think of us, high androgen, inherently insulin-resistant women, as normal human females Impacted by an increasingly abnormal environment, I. It's my contention that the underlying problem of defining PCOS. We're we're all aware that you know we we we're not even sure if this is the right name, and we have multiple subcategories. We have this ongoing problem. And even saying what PCOS is, and I think that's because we have not examined the possibility that we stop trying to parse these degrees of androgenicity, of insulin resistance, and fertility among human females as if there were a clear, logical demarcation between normal and abnormal. Rather, it, you know, it seems very obvious that we exist on a continuum. That we're that each one of us is a, a completely unique individual with our own um, uh, specific phenotypical or body expression of our inherited tendency to high androgen and and inherit, inherently insulin resistant status. It's important for us to remember that. Physicians and research scientists are human beings that are burdened by the same cultural and social biases that every human being is and that reliably, uh, this is a strong word, but I'm going to say that reliably perverts the direction of research and conclusions in research. We have to have a language to... To use among each other, so we have to be able. Clearly, we have to be able to talk about um, how a high androgen state expresses itself in individuals or in groups of women, and, and what the subsequent, what the consequences may be. But the idea that high androgen women are abnormal makes no sense to me. We don't talk about tall people. As abnormal, although there are clearly health risks that are increased for tall people, as there are for short people, as there are for blue eyes. And, you know, so they they're the idea that we have to experience ourselves and be treated as if we are ill and wrong rather than individuals with our inherited physiology with, um, with some Uh, common experiences related to that is what I would that's what I want to change our minds about
0: yeah I love that analogy about um you know it's kind of it's like being tall I mean I'm I'm six feet I have a my husband's six six my 15 year old son is six seven and Mm you know there are there are the pros and cons of of being tall and it's the same and and i can see it, it really is the same as having pcos i mean and we i think focusing on those benefits can be really more productive
1: yeah yeah and so you you, you were curious about what i consider to be the benefits of having a high androgen inherently insulin resistant system, system rather. so that that there's work that is being done in what's called in a a specialty called evolutionary biology, where people are looking at, you know, using the marvelous human genome project and all of that, all the information that we're getting from being able to examine ourselves to that, um, that, Degree, that degree of, of, you know, cutting way, way, way down into the uh, meta- metabolic reality in, in our very cells. And, you know, so for instance, we know that glucose metabolism in the ovarian cells of high androgen women is different from the glucose metabolism in the ovarian cells of women who are not high androgen. And it's fascinating and it's probably important. Um, but it's the, the defining of that as a disadvantage or as a disease state is what I am offended by. You know, I I didn't know that I was a high androgen woman until my daughter was 15 years old, and her expression of her high androgen status was. Quite a bit more dramatic than my own. I had a relatively mild hirsutism growing up, and I have a um, hourglass shape. I I um, I did get very 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 fat in my early 30s under in in the stress of medical school, um, but I I really didn't I just didn't have a lot of phenotypic clues about myself, and I didn't think of myself as abnormal. And it wasn't until my daughter had uh, expressed her high androgen status with a really dramatic uh, outbreak of acne as a young woman that I began to learn about, uh, learn about this state. And so all of this time, you know, I want to I claim a bias. I, I do have a bias, which is I'm looking at myself and I'm looking at my kid and I'm saying, there's nothing wrong with us. We are not sick. We are not ill we have this challenge uh, in our physiology. And um, and that, that idea that there's something wrong with us rather than something wrong with, for instance, our highly refined, nutrient-poor diet that we have, you know, ended up with at the end of the 20th and the beginning of the 21st century, that, you know, that that has, as if that has nothing to do with our experience and our struggles, um, that we're just shining the light in in the wrong direction. It, in fact, when you are a high androgen, inherently insulin resistant woman, what it means is that you got stronger bones, you have stronger muscles. If you have um, a few more years of delayed childbearing. When you're a young woman, it means that you have more time to develop competencies in your social group and in your personal life that a woman who is absorbed in childbearing and child rearing from a very young age does not necessarily have the opportunity to focus on and mm-hmm. develop. A lot of the um, evolutionary sociologists are talking about how important it was to have a group of highly competent, physically strong, and um, leaderly women in our uh, in our species survival in Neolithic times, Paleolithic and Neolithic times, when um, we lived in small human groups and everybody's skill sets. Was essential to the survival. We have um, something that's been referred to as the grandmother hypothesis, and it's it's been continuously developed. But the basic idea is that human infants that have the attention of their their maternal grandmother um, develop and survive better than kids who have only the attention of their, if you will, amateur parents, and the value of that um, physically strong, um, and I'll say mentally alert. that <laughs> We have uh, our our um, our nervous systems are in fact um, tuned up a little bit higher. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. Our
1: sympathetic nervous system is a little bit uh, more uh, reactive uh, when we have a higher androgen status, and in our current culture, um, that can mean things like uh chronic anxiety and insomnia and um, and eventually depression. Um, it can also be flipped on its other side to to um, give us advantages of uh perception and um, and uh motivation to change that might not exist if there weren't that underlying um sympathetic reactivity. So a lot of what we have um, kind of depends on how you look at it, if, if, it's, if it's a burden or if, it, if it's an advantage. And I think that we get a lot of information about the burden and we experience a lot of the burden. The prevalence of anxiety and depression and other mental health challenges experienced by 21st century high androgen inherently insulin resistant women is inextricably linked to being a cosmetic minority as well as having a normal reproductive capacity that is perceived as inadequate in the context where women are mostly considered to. Have to to function as, their primary function is the reproduction of the paternal line. In a lot of cultures, we are still um, primarily valued for um, our childbearing and um, not for much else. We we certainly should be valued for our childbearing and it is not the sole contribution that women make to a culture. So having um, Having professionals and having um, women in general understanding that um, a lot of what we suffer is um, is perception rather than reality. And we can change distorted perceptions with new and fresh information, a new eye, a new angle on what our um, strengths and advantages are.
0: Yeah, this really is a fresh perspective because people aren't um, talking about, you know, the, the, the benefits of PCOS. And I know I've written um, an article about how women with PCOS, I think, often go through those five stages of, um, of um, from Elizabeth to yes, five stage of grief. Thank you,
1: mm-hmm. and
0: yeah. you know you finally get to acceptance. But I think you know I've really worked to move beyond that place of acceptance to even consider it a blessing. Um, and I think these um, areas that you're talking about, you know, that women with PCOS are stronger. You know, our, our bones are are. Um, you know more solid. I know there was a, a, I've posted about a recent study that shows we are at less risk of osteoporosis, um, mm-hmm. and we we can um, remain fertile longer. I mean that that is another benefit that mm-hmm. you know, studies are showing, um, and I, I, and I love that. You know I know a lot of women with PCOS suffer from anxiety, but. I think if you do look at it as kind of this heightened awareness and know that you need to take extreme self-care, and that's something that I really preach about on PCOS Diva, that you have to take time to nurture yourself and take care of yourself, um, you know, so that you can reduce those stress levels. Um, But knowing how to work within kind of the framework that you're living in, and trying to take advantage of those positives, it's going to make a huge difference in your life for the better.
1: It, uh, I, I like to use the word alert, alertness. We are more alert. And, and I also like to encourage my clients and my patients to turn that alertness, that heightened attention, to uh, a ever greater skill at um, self-monitoring checking in and and learning learning the difference between uh, an anxiety that has some basis in shared reality and anxiety that is more um, oh this is this is a physical feeling that I get and when I check into it I see I, I note that there's really nothing connected to it. I can, I, I will start connecting things to it if I, if I start to have this feeling in the center of my gut that kind of rises up behind my sternum. I can start thinking about the bills I need to pay or the patient who isn't quite responding like I thought, or you know the fact that oh my God, there's ten days of dog poop in my backyard. Um, I can find things to worry about, but but I, I can also um learn the difference by paying good attention to myself when the anxiety is, um, is something that is actually connected to something that, oh, yeah I actually, I, I better get out in the backyard, you know, this is my reminder. Or, um, or it's just um, I'm running this chemistry because I'm this kind of gal and I have this chemistry. Oh, okay, do something with it instead of sitting here worrying about it, if you will.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, one thing that I've found working with women with PCOS um, over the last several years is that we are highly creative, and I think that when we're not expressing that creativity is often when the PCOS symptoms are at their worst. I was just wondering if, if you've had that experience with um, you know, women with PCOS being creative.
1: Well, you know, it's similar to, to the examples that I was just giving. If if we have um, we have energy, and yeah, we have um, we have this mind that goes, and we seek um, we seek uh, mental work, if you will, to match the energy that that we're experiencing, and and if you live in a culture that um, only narrowly defines what you are um, allowed to do, or what is acceptable for you to do with your energy and attention, then that can that does become um, perverted. Too many avenues are suppressed. Um, there, there are just. I have listened to so much suffering. Um, I, I remember a young woman a client who lived in a. Who lives in a large metropolitan city who um, just suffered enormously um, having acne because of how important it was in in her uh, work situation to have a certain appearance, and she would be completely organized around scheduling. Dermatologic appointments and at which she would pay $150 to have steroids injected into facial lesions in order to rapidly resolve an appearance. And I mean, she was spending an enormous amount of money and an enormous amount of time trying to manage her appearance in that way. And she wasn't using those material and intellectual and emotional resources on expanding her sense of self so that she Mm. was able to not be so um, enslaved, if you will, to the idea that her her appearance rather than her creativity and her contribution and her generativity was what was important about her.
0: Mm. And was that something that you worked on?
1: Yes. Consultation. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we did, and um, yeah, and and you know, education is so so important for for young women to um, to understand what their physiology is, and understand what um, enhances certain aspects of it, and what and what will suppress it. So, for instance, you know, obviously, w- what we are driven to do with our food habits when we are experiencing depression and anxiety, and what our um, what our culture encourages as solutions to those things versus what what really works for us.
0: Mm-hmm. So, if, if there's a, a woman listening um, out there that's really struggling with her PCOS right now, you know what would be some some steps that you would have her take to kind of alleviate the suffering? I and mean, do you have something that um, you know recommendations that that a listener could take away from our call today.
1: Um, yeah, well, it's back to information becoming very well educated about the foundation of of the, the the physiologic foundations of the expression of PCOS, whether it is in irregular menses or in acne. Or, um, you know, um, the, the majority of us do struggle with excess weight. Um, not all of us do. And kind of parsing that out, you know, what, where, where is your tendency um, and what, what are you doing on a daily basis that either contributes to or, um, or makes, makes better those, those aspects. So so get, getting educated, and I'm so amazed at the resources that are available to women now for learning about what PCOS is, um, you know, in the past decade or so, just a, a, an absolute explosion of information in all sorts of um, media are available. So education, number one. And number two... Um, Connecting up with emotional support, whether it be whether it be through any of the you know very excellent um, online support groups that are available, or um, or locally, you know, depending on the size of your of your town, um, you may have um, you may have the opportunity, and it doesn't necessarily have to be um, pcos specific. Um, there are one of the things that just delights me no end is this rise in activism among young women in their 20s that who are um, rejecting the limiting um, ideas about what is acceptable for human females um, diversity activists of all kinds are um, you know just standing up and saying this is this is me this is how i came into the world and the idea that i need to spend the majority of my my creative energy and my my time and my resources in altering myself in order to be acceptable um, to uh to other people is you know we're done with that we we're, we're celebrating who we are um there, one woman who i uh, particularly two women i particularly admire um, Harnam Kaur, who is a young woman of the uh, Sikh community who lives in London, and a woman named um, Mariam Mitbart, who lives in Germany. Both of these women are local diversity activists and have um, responded to being fed up with working so hard and putting so much resource into altering Their appearance, they've decided to stop doing that and they both grow um, very full, very luscious, very gorgeous beards. And they, um, they are, they literally are now making their living as uh, women who are uh, wearing their beards proudly and fully. Harnam uh, has recently um, been invited to to be in a fashion show and she's modeling gorgeous jewelry and, and she's a, a, a very, very lovely woman with a gorgeous full beard. And um, I just, I am, I am touched, I'm so deeply touched by their courage um, mm-hmm. and, I, and I, want, I want all young women, um, women who are newly diagnosed or women who are realizing that they are high androgen women to um, to take comfort from the fact that there are way more of us than you probably understand. <laughs> that's, that's one thing. Um, you know, in some populations, high-energy women are as few as four percent. In other populations, we are as many as twenty-five percent. That's that's another part of my um, my understanding that because we have hidden our hercetism. So successfully, so long, because most cultures are most comfortable with females who are um, whose appearance is reassuringly um, young and un- uh, underdeveloped, not fully adult. Uh, females are the most reassuringly safe type of females in in a lot of cultures, and so that leaves those of us who are strong and who are powerful and who experience ourselves as competent and um, with much to offer um, feeling like we have to bump up against, we kind of have to make a choice. Are we going to be uh, women or are we going to be something that uh, people don't understand and are um, uh, kind of afraid of? Mm -hmm. Um, I think that... um, that refusing to participate in our own oppression and joining with each other for um, comfort and mutual support and um, and also to just, um, in, a, in a very lighthearted way, say, well, you know, this is the way I came out. And, you know, this is um, not important, actually. Here is what is important about me both are the, that, that's what that's what I hope to encourage young women who are first learning that they have this um, aspect to themselves that they can develop we are um, we are human beings with highly androgen influ- influenced nervous system and fundamentally feminine emotional hearts which is very beautiful and very powerful combination of characteristics that can be developed and celebrated rather than suppressed and hidden.
0: What a beautiful message. And, you know, it's taken me so long to come to this place. But I think once you can kind of celebrate your own authenticity and say, I am enough just how I am, and um, I often say, if you can really learn to love yourself as you are, you know, with the hair, with the acne sometimes, with the, the extra weight, it's from that place of self-love that the real healing begins. And you're, you're right, these these women are brave, um, you know, pioneers for, for this next generation and um, you know, so many of us that are listening um, have daughters like yourself. And, I, I mean, I have a 7-year-old little girl, and time time will tell if she has PCOS, but it's going to be, you know, I think it's a very different place than it was um, certainly for me 10 years ago. And, and that's a really good thing.
1: Yeah. You know, one of, one of my favorite authors is a man named David Schnarch, S-T-H-N-A-R-C-H. And he writes about our personal development, about our um, uh what's called individuation or or differentiation and, and, and basically that is the human being um, becoming fully who she is and um in and all of her aspects um, matured and developed and you know, no one becomes Fully differentiated ever. It's always a process, but mm-hmm. but he talks about the he talks about the the concept of meaningful endurance, and and what he means in that is when we are enduring pain, uh, when we are enduring oppression and prejudice and bias against us. What makes that meaningful is when we understand. That the problem is outside of ourselves. That when when we are oppressed, it is a problem with the culture, not with us. Mm-hmm. That 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 our um, that the inherent uniqueness of every single individual human is what is interesting and valuable about each of us. And the idea that we have to smoosh ourselves into these homogenized boxes of acceptable appearance or acceptable behavior and, and how that occupies us and prevents us from our um, personal growth and development. And it steals from all of us our contributions, the contributions that we would make to our society Are are abbreviated and diluted because we're so um, when we are so busy um, trying to comply with definitions that are too small for us
0: Mm, That's a powerful thought Um, I I was wondering if you would be able to kind of uh, touch a little bit upon um, I know you, you had just given a talk last month was called uh, "Natural Woman: The Mental and Spiritual Wealth of PCOS." Tell us about your vision. What you think of as this? You know that that meant. I know we've talked a little bit about the mental, but the spiritual wealth of PCOS.
1: Well, I guess um, uh, I can't. That that's if that's a very personal uh, sort of assessment. I I can't really separate my spiritual wealth from my my mental health and my mm-hmm. and my physical well-being and so the the um way we, we can be lifted out of the narrow focus on the material Material world, if you will, on um, the everyday economy of how we make our way in the material world. Um, when we have a um, a spiritual context, whether it be a an organized religion or a personal practice of connection with the divine or that which is greater than us. Looking for comfort, frankly, or um, purpose in something larger than and outside of ourselves helps us detach from the suffering that we end up Grappling with constantly when we are absorbed with the idea that there's something wrong with me, and I am handicapped or crippled as a result, and my contributions are not as valuable, or my um, my capacity to contribute is permanently abbreviated or hampered because of those things. When we can, when we when we can lift up out of our own um, singular and personal concerns and experience ourselves as part of something um, larger. We just have more room. There's more room in our lives. There's more room in our hearts. And there are more, um, if you will, practices of peace. Most most of us, in order to be in contact with what you might call our spiritual selves or our or our our um, relationship with divine. Um, do that by separating out a little bit. You know, we, we go to church, or or we meditate, or we we have some time out of time, if you will, where where we um, uh, engage with our awareness that um, this is not all there is. That there, you know, and and that we um, we can. Uh, practice being in touch with that sense of something greater than ourselves that um, literally soothes our nervous system literally um, increases our metabolic well-being when we have those experiences of peace if you will um, that that we can enter into when we Deliberately engage in a practice that sets aside time uh, on a regular, reliable basis that, that both our, our mind and our body come to rely on for the benefit of it, uh, the material, uh, metabolic, and um, emotional benefit of practices.
0: Mm-hmm. And you know, as I mentioned earlier in the call, that you're really this this pioneer in, in this holistic approach to living with PCOS, and you know that that, like you said, the spiritual part isn't separate. I mean, it's part of the whole and part of the the healing. I believe. I know you. I think you during this call today you've really ref, reframed the way I look at working with women with PCOS. I've always thought of the work that I do with my private coaching clients is helping them move beyond the, the pain and struggle of PCOS so that they can live the life they were meant to live and, and kind of fulfill their mission in life without PCOS holding them back. But it's almost like getting in touch with those strengths that is the PCOS.
1: Mm-hmm. And
0: um, rather than moving beyond, it's really taking advantage of what we you know what God has given us, um, and the PCOS is part of that.
1: You know, Amy, there, there is There's one little, one little piece I would really like the opportunity to say here. Um, yeah. About when you asked me a little bit ago about you know when I, a woman newly diagnosed and what would I want her to know? Um, so much of our pain and distress comes from the perception that we are like I as I said earlier, a cosmetic minority. That is, um, women with PCOS and inherent insulin resistance, whether you have a lean silhouette or whether you are clearly overweight, you will have a higher percentage of visceral fat. That is how we are designed. And that design is what had metabolic advantages. In the time in human history when our food supply was unreliable, and there, you know, there's lots of science about that, evolving science about that, Um, started out with the idea of the thrifty genotype, and it's it's developed since then. We've we've got a, a much greater understanding, but clearly, it is an advantage in circumstances that don't exist anymore. In most of our cultures because of the nature of our global food supply and how that's changed. But a point that I want to make is that the cosmetic ideal in most cultures, highly, highly influenced by um, Eurocentric uh, sort of culture, is the hourglass figure. When we actually look at human females all over the world, it is very clear that the hourglass figure on the human female is a very small minority. It looks like only about 8% of women in the world have the genetic potential to express that phenotype. And interestingly, the genetic subgroup where that 8% Dominates is guess what, European, the European, Northern European gene pool. Everywhere else in the world, most women have a higher waist hip ratio than that putative ideal, and and we have just done a fabulous Madison Avenue kind of job at convincing everybody that this way of this appearance, this particular body silhouette is the most valuable and you too can attain it if only you will, you know, buy this device or eat this diet Mm -hmm. or do this kind of exercise. And that is so ridiculous and so offensive and it is continuously perpetuated by research scientists who don't seem to... Uh, you know, have not seemed to, to understand that they're basically labeling 92% of human females as at risk for abnormality or abnormal because of our waist-tip ratio. Um, and it, it's just mind-blowing when you actually look at the data and see what the, if you will, the truth is about who, is a normal human female. So that, that is another really important aspect that I want all young women to understand that there are, um, there are every, every one of us is an, a proper and appropriate and normal expression of what it is to be a human female on a very, very wide, Continuum of diversity. We we are all different, and in fact, most of us are not our glass sheep. Never will be. Shouldn't try to be. Right. We'll hurt. We will hurt ourselves if we try to be. That that is actually the cosmetic minority, um, and so I I also want young women um, to uh, understand that. I don't want young women to be cavalier about obesity. It's, um, it's been fascinating to me. When I was growing up, I'm, I'm one of those, you know, the classic story. I wasn't particularly fat, but I felt like I was. And I, um, I wore camouflaging clothes as a young woman. I always wore very loose tops and preferred to wear my father's shirts and blue jeans. That was my, That was my uniform. However, when I look around me now, it's just so common to see young women who have very large abdomens wearing very revealing clothing, and that that seems to be the norm. And I am, and I am so glad for them that they are not suffering the idea that they need to hide themselves. And I also don't want them to suffer the consequences of being over fat. So there's there's this, you know, that's a that's an interesting dynamic tension that I just want to admit to, you know, that um, mm-hmm. we we have to grapple with the fact that a high androgen inherently insulin resistant woman is going to get fat easy. It's easy mm-hmm. for us to get fat. It's also actually usually easy for us to get unfat when we uh, are able to enact Certain behaviors. It's not mysterious. Um, it's not hard to understand. It is. It can be hard to actually perform, to actually do, depending on what support you have to make the necessary changes. Um, but it's it's not mysterious, and um, and and it, and it is, and in fact, it is probably the primary cause of. Most fertility issues for young women not not being high androgen, but rather being high androgen and having excess body fat.
0: Mm-hmm. and so, and that's why just a small percentage of body um, reduction in in weight mm-hmm. body mass can make a big difference.
1: That's right, that's right. Mm-hmm.
0: So I, I want to know um if there somebody's listening wants to learn more about you wants to work with you how can they reach out
1: Well I have a website it's pcosconsultations.com pcosconsultations all one word and that's the that's a a good place to go and uh, read more about how I think and what I offer and that's also you can also um Communicate with me through that website,
0: and I I want to highly recommend the the book. You know, it's it's even though it's ten years old, it, there's just so much wisdom and wonderful information in there. It's um, is that still avail? Is that available through your Actually, website? Actually, it is
1: a, it is available through my website for free. And if you make yourself a member of my, um, uh, if you Yeah, I guess the right word is member. Make yourself a member of my Health Waves store. Okay. Yeah, if you sign up for there, then you will have the opportunity to download an electronic version of that book. We no longer print it. We haven't printed it in many years, primarily because um, it was published in 2005. It took about five years to write. So... Um, there has just been, just as I said earlier, just an explosion of research and, and, uh, and greater understanding um, uh, about PCLS and, and particularly PCLS and nutrition. So it, didn't, it just did not make sense to me to continue to print a book that is um, aging, the information is aging, but the actual, you know, do this instead of that remains valuable and um, so people who would like to download an electronic copy of that can do so through the website.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Well, I just want to thank you again for all of the work that you've done on behalf of Women with PCOS. You've you've really changed so many women's lives for the better. I was looking, I actually reviewed this book back in 2009 on my site and I was looking at the comments and there were several on on my page just saying what an impact this book has made and your work has made. So, behalf of all of those women, thank you. Thank you.
1: Oh, you're very welcome. It's been, um, you know, it, nothing matters to me more than my daughter's happiness and well-being. And she has been the uh, the primary motivation for all of this work. And I am so deeply grateful to her um, for putting up with <laughs> me and my uh, my insistence on focusing on this and um, uh, and, and you know uh, and, and it's been a very fulfilling professional path as well so you're welcome
0: oh, well it's been a blessing well thank you everybody for listening and I look forward to being with you again very soon, bye bye